0: Welcome to the story behind her success with Candy O'Terry, presented by Boston Women in Media and Entertainment, sponsored by Tech Help Boston.
1: There is no shortage of women doing great things with their lives, and this podcast is proof of that. Do you know someone who is adopted? Are you adopted? I am, and it is complicated. November is National Adoption Month, So we went searching for a woman who could teach us all about it from the inside out, including the joys and the heartache. This is the story of Jennifer Eckert, adopted child and founder of Boston Post Adoption Resources, a nonprofit she founded to support individuals and families touched by adoption. Jennifer, welcome to the story behind her success. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here, Candy. So first up, we're going to play Candy O's lightning round. Five questions, five short answers. Are you ready? I'm ready. Here we go. Glass of wine or a cup of tea to unwind? Wine. Best gift you ever received? Oh, um, a card from my son. What is your favorite holiday? Thanksgiving. And do you shop for your clothes online or do you go to a store to get them? Both. Both. Okay. Hidden talent. This is my favorite one. I'm a dog whisperer. Quick glimpse into your personality. Thank you so much, Jen. Let's dive into your story now. You went back to school in 2008 at Simmons to get a degree in social work. So this is a second career for you. What were you doing before that?
2: Before that, Candy, I was in the fashion business and I went to FIT in New York City. And Which I is got the my, place to go, right? Right. I got my four-year degree in fashion marketing. And I moved here and I worked for the marketing sourcing arm of the Limited Brands. And they were based in Andover, Massachusetts, run by Martin Trust, who sadly has just passed away. It was a fantastic place to work. He was so supportive of women. He paid us well. We traveled all over the world. We had a lot of responsibility. So he really taught me how to run a business.
1: Was there a light bulb moment then, Jen, when you decided to change your career and and begin your work around adoption?
2: As I got a little older and my son was getting older, I wanted to do something that was just a little different, something a little more meaningful. And at that point, I was doing some volunteer work with adopted teens. I loved it. It was a Saturday program and it was a workshop for adoption, discovering your identity talking about adoption issues and problems, I just fell in love with it. I really liked being with the teens, and I thought, I wish I had had this when I was growing up. Can you tell
1: us your adoption story, and then I'll tell you mine.
2: My parents got married in the late 50s. By 1960, my mother still wasn't pregnant. That was pretty awful in my family. I think my whole family was hoping she'd be pregnant immediately, particularly my grandmother, her mother. And when that didn't happen, my grandmother took things into her own hands. She was very Catholic, very involved with the Catholic Church. She contacted the powers that be over at Catholic Charities and she got my parents a baby. And that was me. My birth mother, Linda, was in nursing school. She was 19 from the Pennsylvania area. And she met a guy, my birth father, and they had an affair. It wasn't long and she became pregnant. At that point, she was hoping for marriage, and he was engaged to somebody else at that Ah. time. So she was very disappointed, was sent off by her very upset Catholic family (laughs) to a home for unwed mothers. She was treated pretty poorly. It was a pretty tough place for her being pregnant. You know, it's so interesting to
1: hear you tell your story because mine is very, very similar to yours. My adoption story is My parents also got married and seven years into the marriage. They did know going into it, though, that my mom wasn't able to have children. She had had a hysterectomy when she was only 19 years old because she had fibroid tumors. They knew when they were getting married that they would need to adopt. They had filed adoption papers soon after their marriage, and they waited seven years for me. And you might wonder why. The reason is because it was very important to both of them that my nationality matched theirs exactly. They wanted me to look like them or similar to them. I was an exact match. I was a little bit German like my mom was and very Irish like my dad was. When I was born, I have since learned that my birth parents were madly in love with one another, couldn't keep their hands off of one another, and that my mom gave me up when I was born because my father was in the service. She, like the birth mother that you were just describing, was placed in a home for unwed mothers. That's my story, very similar to yours. So Jen, give us an overview of the services you and your team provide at BPAR, and that's the acronym for Boston Post Adoption Resources.
2: What we do at Boston Post Adoption Resources is support anybody who's touched by adoption. And that could be an adoptee, a birth parent, a sibling, adoptive parents. That could be kinship. There's so many different people that connect through adoption, and we're here to support everyone. There's counseling for individuals and
1: families touched by adoption, but there's also an extensive online resource library. Tell our listeners about that.
2: I think that's probably what I'm most proud of. We have seven clinicians, therapists, and we have one fantastic director who has really built up our resources to the point where I think we're probably one of the best in, if not the Northeast, in the country. For example, a woman called us from Alaska two months ago. She was looking for her lawyer that had set up her adoption when she was born and she wanted to get her original birth certificate, and she could not find this lawyer, she could not get any help. She was in Alaska, she wanted therapy, she really wanted a lot of things. We were able to help her with all of her needs, including finding the lawyer, helping her with the birth certificate, and finding her a therapist closer
1: to her. So it feels like you really are a connection for every single facet of adoption. I hope so. (laughs) You've also co-written a book, which I'm holding here in my hand. I'm going to hold it up for our cameras in the room right now. It's called Adoption is a Lifelong Journey. What was your goal in writing the book? I was so impressed with the tone of the book for both children and for parents.
2: What Kelly, Katie, and I really wanted to do was to educate parents and caregivers that all of the issues or challenges with adoptees are actually really normal and what to expect. We took all of the most common themes that we came across as therapists over the years. With that, we picked out the strongest ones. We devoted a page to each topic. And then with each topic, we had a resource page in the back. Let's say a child is very upset on their birthday. In fact, I remember always being sick on my birthday. I always had the flu. I had strep throat. (laughs) And I didn't realize how common that was, but it was all about birthday, birth family, identity, beginnings. This is quite common. And children, a lot of times, do not want to celebrate their birthday. So it really educates caregivers and parents why. What I loved about reading
1: the book was the way that it's written, the tone that it is written in, is helpful not just for the child who's being read to, or reads it themselves, but it's also so helpful to the parent who's reading the book. So once again, it's called Adoption is a Lifelong Journey, and it's written by Kelly and Katie who work with you and Jennifer Eckert as part of the Boston Adoption Resources. Put your clinical social worker hat on for me right now, and let's get into some complicated adoption questions. Is that okay? That's fine. First of all, how old should a child be when you tell him or her that they are adopted And then what should you say?
2: It should just be part of the conversation from the very beginning. The parents, caregivers, should be really comfortable with the conversation that we've adopted this child and that's how we came to be as a family, and that they're really comfortable with all the wording, birth mother, birth father, birth family, all the vocabulary that might be new to them.
1: Is this something you
2: tell a preschooler?
1: Is this something you tell a child in kindergarten? Honestly, how old should they be, or is it just
2: by the child? I really believe it should be from day one. So many more adoptions today are open. Many times parents have a picture of the birth mother or birth father or birth family. They may have met her before she gave birth. They may have met her in the hospital. If this is the case, have that picture out. Have that picture in the baby's room. When the child gets to be a little older, she'll understand or he'll understand who that person in the picture is. I'm thinking, is it appropriate to even take that picture and put it in the baby's book? Absolutely. I have to. You're normalizing it. This is our family. This is how we came to be. There's no shame. There's no secret. There's nothing that we're hiding from you. This is us.
1: So once a child knows that he or she is adopted, Can you expect behavior changes? I'm thinking that there might be parents listening saying, you know, we told her and then we experienced what?
0: Please support our sponsors. They make this show possible. More than 30,000 families and businesses have trusted TechHelpBoston.com since the year 2000. Dave Elmazian, president of Tech Help Boston, with the reasons why. It's really about forging a relationship and having a trusting relationship because your technology is very personal to you. It used to be in the old days that things were private. When you're online, nothing is private anymore. And we want to make sure that that information is kept confidential and with somebody that you trust and you feel comfortable with. You can trust Tech Help Boston to keep your computer and systems running right. Call 781-484-1265 or visit techhelpboston.com. That's techhelpboston.com.
2: Again, I think it really goes back to the adoptive parents and how open they are with the child. Hopefully that dialogue is continually open throughout the journey of that child. You know what's complicated,
1: though, is that you are loved, but someone gave you up. And one plus one in that case does not equal two. That's so hard for a child to understand. What do you say as a social worker when you're working with children? How do you explain it?
2: That is a hard Thing to explain. And every experience is so different. Every child is different. And every way they were placed for adoption is different. It's really explaining to the child their story. Their birth parents, most of the time, wanted them to have a better life. To explain it as well as age appropriately is correct for that child. What my core belief is, there are no accidents in life, that we are all meant to be here. We may not have come into this world exactly the way we wished we had, but here we are, and we are all meant to be here, and that's really important. Then there's the
1: adopted child who looks nothing like his or her adoptive parents. So she's exposed to early questions early in her life from her friends and neighbors. What do you say about that?
2: That's quite common, especially with so many children being adopted from other countries internationally. They just may not look like their adoptive family. It's another layer of complexities for that child growing up. And kids can be really tough. Similar to your story, I look like my parents. The kids in the neighborhood, I don't know how, they knew I was adopted. And I remember one little girl saying, You're so ugly that, of course, your mother gave you up. She didn't love you. And kids can be really, really vicious. How do you
1: recover from that? that? (laughs) Jen, oh
2: my god. I think what happens is, a lot of times, children don't tell their parents these things. So if the child is expressing any kind of sadness or depression or adoption-related issues, it's really important to get them some supports sooner than later. And again, it
1: seems to me from what I'm learning from you in this, in this story today is it's all about open lines of communication. It's about the child sharing the story you just told me. It's about the parent knowing the right thing to say. What about the child who is removed from a home because of abuse or neglect? They know they had another family. They know something went wrong. Sometimes they think it's their fault. I'm going to guess you deal with this a lot.
2: Yes, we do. It goes back to being age-appropriate. How much of their story can you share with them? What have they experienced? What do they remember? And helping them to make sense of that story. And oftentimes, children will be removed from homes that their parents actually do love them, but their parents are either addicts or they have abuse histories or they have some serious illnesses, mental health issues things that they can't work through, and the child's removed. But that doesn't mean that that child wasn't loved. How can you help a child develop trust? It goes back to what you said before, making sure that you have a trusting, honest, loving family. And I think it really comes from your surroundings, from the people that you're with. If trust is there as part of everyday life, and there are no secrets and there are no shameful lies, Issues are dealt with head-on that child will learn how to trust.
1: We're a lot more careful in 2019 when we talk to children about their parents. You know, in the summertime, I run a swimming program for 300 children. I'm with kids that are between the ages of 4 and 12. And when we're sitting on the pool deck and perhaps I have a permission slip that needs to go home, I don't say, ask mom and dad or ask mom or dad. I say, ask your parents to please sign this because I'm very aware that we have different living situations for children. Is that just one example of how we can make it a little bit easier for a child in a different type of home environment?
2: Yes, and a lot of times we see children in foster care. It might not be a parent, it might be a caregiver, it might be a kinship adoption, they might be living with a grandparent, an aunt, an uncle. We really need to be careful of our vocabulary. And give them the respect because children can pick up on it. Kids are so smart. If there's one thing (laughs) I want you to take away from today, it's kids are super smart. And you think that they're not aware of something. And they are. They really are. They say that time is a great healer. But I always felt
1: as if there was a puzzle piece missing for me deep down inside. And I did go through adoption recovery. I did locate my birth parents and I had a chance to meet my mother before she passed away, and my birth father is still alive. But adoption recovery is also an emotional roller coaster. I like to describe it as being on a highway at 100 miles an hour. These are people you've never met before, and you're supposed to love them. What kind of work do you do around
2: this? Somebody coined the term intimate strangers, which I I love to use because that's exactly what it is you're related you're biologically related yet you don't know a thing about each other and i view it as three separate parts there's the search there's the reunion where you physically meet and then there's the relationship and relationships are really challenging mm. and and we know this from our own families that it takes time people have different fantasies of what the relationship should look like how it should go different expectations. Another word I use a lot is baby steps, you know, just to take it slow and to try to let go of some of these fantasies. Everything's just going to be perfect. It's going to be just like a, an Oprah TV works. show no. and it doesn't work that way. What is the hardest part of your job, Jen? If I can be quite honest, it's funding that we're a nonprofit and that we do take insurance, but insurance only pays for part of our costs, our expenses. We really rely on a lot of generous supporters to make sure that this program continues. If you want to donate to Jen's
1: nonprofit, here's how you do it. Just go to bpar.org, bpar.org, and please support this great charity. How do you stay inspired? How do you stay energized? Is it easy for social workers to burn out because of the emotionality of their jobs?
2: You know, Candy, I think we have an incredibly special team. I think I mentioned before that we have seven therapists and two therapy dogs. We're really a close-knit family. We all rely on each other. We really depend on each other. If there's a tough case, somebody is always there to help. We have weekly peer supervisions. We have check-ins. We really support each other. Hopefully, that'll continue and there won't be any burnout. Has your work around adoption healed you? Just like the book says, adoption is a lifelong journey. And I don't know if we're ever fully healed. I think we're always questioning identity as an adoptee. I think we're always looking for answers. I think there's always that puzzle piece that is still missing, Mm -hmm. even though we think we have all the pieces. Mm -hmm. There's always one or two that you can keep working on.
1: What was your parents' reaction when you told them about your career change and your decision to focus on adoption?
2: Actually, at that point, Candy, they were both deceased maybe
1: that Uh. was a relief. (laughs) I wonder if they would have wanted to know anything about this. I know my
2: mother did not want to talk about my adoption. That's that's really common for older adoptions. Children really felt disloyal and they didn't want to mention it. They didn't want to bring it up. They didn't want to hurt their families. With younger families and having this openness, children aren't feeling as disloyal. You are a trustee at
1: Simmons, which is where you went for your Social work degree. Tell me about the school and what it has meant to you, and and what your goal is as a trustee.
2: It was really difficult for me to decide to go back to school in my 40s and um, get my master's degree, but it was something that was so worthwhile. Simmons is really an incredible place, as most of you know. It's an independent women's college, and it was founded by John Simmons many years ago. It is really just an incredible leadership program for women.
1: When an obstacle is in your path, what's your style? How do you get around it?
2: At this point in my life, I try to think it through. I try to take baby steps. I try not to react so quickly. I have a lot of good support. I have a lot of wonderful friends. If it's really a big challenge, I'll consult with them. My husband's a strong supporter. You go to your village. Go to my village. Who were your role models when you were growing up and what did they teach you? Probably the most important role model for me was the grandmother that oversaw my adoption or made sure that adoption happened. She was really um, my backbone. She was really super strong, a what very did you strong learn from woman. Her? You know, it would probably don't give up just to keep going, take risks, it'll work itself out. But she was very strong for her day, so that helped.
1: Let's imagine that there is a woman listening to this program who gave her baby up for adoption. And based on your expertise, can you offer her some advice when she lays there in bed at night worrying if she made the right decision?
2: I think probably the most important piece here is to get support. There are wonderful groups. There are groups for birth mothers. There's individual therapists like BPAR, Boston Post Adoption Resources. There's a lot of great material out now, which we didn't have uh, years ago. There are a lot of great books. There's a lot of great films, a lot of really good podcasts and resources. The advice I would give is to embrace it and start working on it. People measure success
1: in very different ways. And you're in a very exciting chapter in your life. And I do believe that we live our lives in chapters. From where you are right now. What does success mean to you?
2: Success is so individual. It was so different when I was young. You know, I wanted to be in the fashion business. I wanted to be at the top. Whatever my game was, I wanted to be the winner and I wanted to be the best. As I got older, I think I realized that it was more important to have something that gave me meaning at the end of the day. I think probably my greatest joy is having all these relationships and these connections with other people. That's really been my definition of success. Jennifer Eckert,
1: founder of Boston Post Adoption Resources. Thank you so much for sharing your story today. And if you have a question for Jen or would love to know more, just go to BPAR.org. And I'm sure they'll get right back to you. And again, they have a giant resource library right there for anyone all around the world to access. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Candy.
0: Thanks for listening to the story behind her success with Candy Oterry. This is a series with one goal in mind to shine the spotlight on women doing great things with their lives. We hope these weekly stories will motivate and inspire you. If you'd like to suggest someone for Candy to interview, she'd love to hear about it. Connect with her anytime on Facebook, Twitter, and her website, CandyOterry.com. That's C A N D Y O T E R R Y.com. You'll find all of these links in the show notes. What's your story?